13 upstairs and high school is in room 214 to 215 also upstairs um high school will go through uh doctrines of oh wait okay um no please please join us and uh we learn about the doctrine of salvation free will um and yeah a lot of theology really fun Woo! all right cool um also another thing that next week we do not have prayer meeting um usually prayer meetings on wednesdays but next week we won't be having it uh we will begin uh we will continue to resume it on october 13th and um after you guys are done with small groups please don't enter the mac until after 9 40 um so parents can pick up um their kids from awana um until they're finished so yeah we don't get everything confused and um is there anything else Oh yeah. Um, so for at Dimebar High School, um, a mission initiative got passed as an official club at Dimebar High School. So for Dimebar High School students, um, please join us. Uh, our next, our first official meeting will be put out to you shortly. All right. Yes, that was a huge praise that the club is approved. Um, actually, Vanessa and I, we are working that club directly, so we meet every Thursday. Um, and so hopefully we can be on campus when you guys have their club meeting. So please uh, show out to that if you're at Diamond Bar. So we'd love to see you um, on campus and making the gospel known to um, our friends who don't know Jesus yet. Um, I take this off. All right, so if you're new here today, I saw some new faces. My name is Kevin. Uh, I'm the pastor here. And we have been going through a series on the parables of Jesus. All right. And so uh, we're continuing that parable today. And just a heads up, I'm actually going to be gone next Friday. I'm out of town in Alabama for a conference. Never been there before. Uh, but you're going to get a guest speaker, Aaron Lee, who's a very good teacher. Don't worry. He won't call on you. He's just preaching. <laughs> um, but he will preach a parable next Friday. And then um, afterwards, you'll notice it's part one. I'll do part two uh, two weeks from now. So today's part one. So uh, let me open us up in prayer and then we'll jump in to this parable and then afterwards we'll have small groups and I'll be end of the night. All right. So let me, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that your word would be um, spoken in truth and in power, and it would convict us deep to the heart. God, I pray that um, every person here is in a different place in their, in their faith, whether they are a believer or whether they're not a believer um, or, or not a Christian. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us where we at, and we would just be enlightened to know that you truly love us. It's not just a slogan. It's not just a saying. It's who you really are. It's the truth of who you are. Help us to know that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I want to start off with a question, and feel free to just shout something out or um, raise your hand, but What's an example of something that is too good to be true? Any ideas? You can shout it out or, I don't know, raise your hand. Oh, uh, yeah, Austin? Your principal giving you diamonds? A prince. A what? A prince. Gave you diamonds? Oh, K-pop? Oh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Okay, so K-pop, hmm, maybe too good to be true. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Army, if you're out there. Uh, <laughs> and um, Prince giving you diamonds. Okay, 
You mean like from an email? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm like the prince of Nigeria. Um, let me, I have to get to America. Um, I'll give you a million dollars. You just have to pay for the banking fee. Like that? Okay, something like that. Okay. Anything else? What else is too good to be true? <laughs> BTS coming to church to give praise. Yeah, Team Jamin, right? <laughs> uh, what else is too good to be true? Yeah, Moses. Ah, <laughs> oh, car getting a extended warranty. <laughs> too good to be true. Okay. Any other examples? Yes, Brian. Milk tea. Whoa, you don't like milk tea? Mmm. Is it like too strong, maybe, or too unimpressive? All right, milk tea. Too good to be true. Oh, jazz milk tea is too good to be true. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for enlightening us on things that are too good to be true. I think the older you grow up, the more you can see through scams, the more you can see through um, weird emails that promise you money as long as you pay the, the fee. And sooner or later, you just become suspicious. Sooner or later, you just become suspicious of things that seem too good to be true. Um, but there's one thing that it's too good. Well, it's so good, but it's also very, very true. But a lot of us actually have a hard time believing it. And the thing I want to talk about today is God's love. God's love sometimes feels too good to be true. How can a God truly love us after the many times I've messed up? Could God truly love somebody like me? We're suspicious of that. We think it's a scam. Like we have to be a good person. We have to go to church. And if we read our Bibles, then God loves us. And I think today's parable is going to turn that on its head and show us that God loves us, period. The question is, will we let him? And so as we get started in the sermon, I know that um, there are a lot of phones around here. So I want to ask that if you have your phone, either put it on the ground or you put it away. Um, it's very obvious when you have your phone. Um, and so I ask that you at least respect um, God's word because people here, they do want to learn. And I'm not here to force you to believe. We're just happy you're here. But at least, you know, respect the person next to you if they want to learn from God's word. Can we do that today? All right. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. I know that's not always easy. Um, so for our next slide, if we can go to the next slide, um, the next point. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Today's message is just into two points. Um, you've seen the structure before. Um, first, I'm going to explain the narrative. What is this parable all about? And secondly, I'm going to answer the question, so what? I heard the story, but now what? Why should this matter to me as a teenager living in Walnut, Diamond Bar, Chino Hills? Why should this matter to me? Written by someone 2,000 years ago. And so we're going to draw out why a book, a parable can change our life. And if you're new here today, a parable is simply an everyday illustration a simple story that illustrates a spiritual truth. Jesus uses parables. He uses everyday things like dirt, light, seeds, farm, uh, flowers, plants to illustrate deep spiritual truths. And so we're going to get into that, get into that today. So if you do have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we'll go into 
the first uh, <clears throat> first part of this parable. Luke chapter 15. Now, as you guys are turning there, I want to give a setting or a context for this parable. It's not just a parable that you find in history books. This parable is actually spoken to real people in a real place by a real person. And so we have to understand that context to truly appreciate the weight of this parable. So let's go to chapter 15. Let's read verses one and two. Let's start there. Who's listening to this parable? Verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man, meaning Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Let's stop there. So this crowd, it's made up of a lot of bunch of different people. People like uh, tax collectors who were seen as very low traders um, in the culture back then. Um, but there's also like the religious folk, like the Pharisees and the scribes. And so this crowd had a lot of people. Jesus was a very polarizing person. He caused people to hate him like the Pharisees, but he caused people like sinners, the tax collectors to be intrigued by him. And so Jesus would normally eat with these sinners and to eat with someone, it would be almost to accept them. When you eat with someone, you don't eat with an enemy, but you eat with your friends. And so the Pharisees, they thought, why is Jesus eating with um, these sinners? It would be like if you saw me as a pastor eating a meal with a group of uh, radical racists or a group of transgender people. You might think, whoa, what's he doing there getting coffee with these people? Does he accept their lifestyle? And in a way, that's what Jesus is doing back then. He spends time with people who were rejected in society. And that's why Jesus was so polarizing. And so this parable, he actually tells three parables at this point. The parable of the prodigal son is actually the third parable in this three parable um, uh, teaching. And so today we're going to focus on the parable of the prodigal son. So I want you to imagine that you're actually there in the crowd. Imagine that you're actually listening to Jesus give this parable. Imagine you're in the crowd. And so let's see what Jesus says as he begins speaking. Verses 11 to 13. Let's start here. Verse 11. And he, meaning Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. If we can go to the next slide, I have a simple picture of the younger son demanding inheritance. Dad, where's my money? Um, and the dad is there in the middle. Um, and the older brother, we'll actually get to him in part two. So we won't get to the older brother this week. We're going to focus on the younger brother and this younger brother. He's likely a teenager because he's unmarried um, and he does something shocking. He demands an inheritance. Now that's not the shocking thing. What's shocking is that he demanded it while his father was alive. You see only when the dad dies, it's only then when the inheritance is divided among um, the sons or the children. And normally it was the older son who got two thirds of the inheritance while 
the younger brother got one third of inheritance. So for the younger son to say, dad, give me the inheritance, give me my property, give me my money. It would be like the same as him saying, I wish you were dead, dad. I don't care about you. I just want your money. I just want what you have. And that is the offense in this moment. And for whatever reason, the dad agrees to this. The dad says, okay. And we never find out in the Bible why he says yes. I mean, if I'm the dad, I'm like, whoa, why would you give in to this you know, whiny little kid, your, your whiny son, don't give him the money. But I had compassion when I imagined, imagine a teenager who says to his parents or her parents, mom, dad, I don't want to go to church anymore. It's boring. But the parent says, no, you have to. While you live in my household, these are my rules. But you can imagine if kid doesn't want to go to church, but the parents want them to, they're just arguments. They just bicker years after years after years until the parents realize, you know what? You're basically about to 18. You're about to move out anyways. If you don't want to go to church, all right, you don't have to go to church. Just know that we still love you and we're always here waiting for you. If it happens somewhat like that, something like that, I could have more compassion for why the, the father agreed to give the property to his younger brother. But it never says, I'm just speculating. And so the older brother at this point, you had to imagine What's the older brother thinking? He's there off to the side on the very left. Um, we're going to actually explore his character later in two weeks, but keep an eye on him because actually that's arguably the main purpose of this parable, but we're going to get to the younger son first today. And so the younger son, he gathered everything that he had, um, which means he probably converted the property to cash. So he went away to a faraway country, that land on the right side, and he squanders everything. And the text says, in verse 13, on reckless living. Wild living is another translation. So it doesn't say what it says, but you can imagine reckless living or wild living. Maybe he went out with his friends every day. Uh, maybe they just uh, went out, hung out, played sports. Maybe they gambled. Maybe they slept around, rented expensive Airbnbs to live in, buying the best clothing. Whatever they want, he wanted, he probably got. And so the younger son, he got what he wanted. And he was living his best life now until something happens. At a certain point, his bank account, it hits zero and a famine destroys the country and the economy. So let's see what happens now. Let's look at verses 14 to 16. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. If we can go to the next slide, this is a picture of the younger son. He is at the end of his rope. Um, he is rock bottom. He realizes, what have I done? I've spent everything. And his life is so worse. Even the pigs that he has to feed, they're better. They have a better life than him. Look how happy they are. This is so good. This is so scrumptious. They're just enjoying their life while the younger son, he's just there and he is suffering. And back then, remember, I mean, I drew these pigs real cute if you think that's cute, but back then pigs were really actually dirty, unclean animals. It's like if you saw a rat in a subway, uh, which actually I came back from New York 
there's actually rats in the subway and their, their backs are like rounded, like the cartoon. I'm like, whoa, it's like Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Um, it actually exists. Um, that is the picture of a rat and likely a pig back then, that they were dirty, filthy animals. But now they're cute because we have like Peppa Pig and we all glor glorify pigs nowadays. Um, but this younger son, he goes from having everything to having nothing. It's like working on Wall Street in New York, making six figures, trading, investing, making millions to living in the streets, begging people for money on the subways, digging through piles of trash bags to find food. It's humiliating. And he hits rock bottom. And actually, I don't know if there's a connection here, but I realized, remember how we went through Joseph, the sermon series, there's a famine that reunited Joseph and his brothers. And also here, there's a famine too that'll bring him back to his dad. I don't know if there's an actual connection, but that was just an interesting thought that I had. Anyways, this younger son, he realizes, he realizes something when he hits rock bottom. He has a solution, but it will require him to humble himself. It'll probably be very humiliating. So let's see what the solution is. Let's look at verses 17 to 19. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let's stop there. So something monumental happens in his heart. There's a very important shift that happens in the younger son's heart. In the beginning of verse 17, it says that he came to himself or he came to his senses. In the Hebrew or Aramaic, it can also mean he repented. So he saw his situation. He saw the stupidity of his ways and realized, wow, I screwed up. I, I, uh, I disrespected my dad on a whole nother level. And he realizes, you know what? If I could go back to my dad's house, even his servants have a better life than me right now. I mean, I don't know if I want to go back. It's probably, that's so embarrassing to say sorry to my dad. My brother is probably there as well. But I mean, I'm probably going to die in a couple of days. There's no more food. And you can imagine his thinking that he realizes he's messed up. And I want you to uh, focus on verse 18, the, the final sentence. The son says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. There's a sign of repentance. He recognizes that his sin was not just against his dad, but it was against heaven. It was against God. He realized he sinned against God. And even though he'll always be his, the biological son of his dad, he realizes he's been a rotten son. Like, I don't deserve to be uh, part of the family. Like, if my dad just takes me back as a servant, that, that's good enough. So he's ready to make the trip back. Let's see how his dad responds in this final a portion of today's parable verses 20 to 24 and he meaning the son arose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf 
and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. If we can go to the next picture, our final picture. This is a dad. He sees his son from afar, even before he even reaches the doorsteps of his home. He rushes to his son. I know probably 90% of you are familiar with this story, but allow yourself to be in awe of what is happening right now in this parable. Let's break it down. This younger son, he's probably slowly walking home as he's returning in his hometown. Maybe he recognizes familiar streets like that marketplace. He used to maybe get food there. And as he gets closer home, he's maybe rehearsing what he's going to say in his heart. Maybe his heart is thumping. Like, I don't know what my dad's going to say. And when he sees his house from a distance, maybe you can imagine he sees a figure running towards him. He doesn't know who it is yet. I mean, this figure is so far away. But as the figure, this person runs closer, the son recognizes, I think that's dad. I think that's my father. And remember back then in the ancient world, if you were a person of stature, you would not run. That would be very inappropriate. It would be like if you saw the president or uh, your principal or Pastor Albert sprinting in the parking lot. It would be like, whoa, <laughs> slow down, brother. What are you doing? <laughs> they would be very inappropriate to see your principal, pastor, or someone of importance running or sprinting. And same back then. If you're important, you didn't run. You watched because that was more appropriate. But this dad, he throws out all cultural cues because he just sees his son. And he can't believe it. And maybe he's walked out his house every day for the past however long it's been, hoping his son would return. And finally, at long last, he sees his son. And he throws all caution to the wind. He runs towards his son, ambushes him, embraces him, and hugs, and kisses, and acceptance. And it's almost humorous. The son, he finally gets to rehearse what he's about to say. He says, Dad... Father, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And it's funny because the father, if you look in the text, he doesn't even respond to his son. He just almost ignores his son. He turns to his servant and says, quickly now get the robe from um, the house. Yeah, get the expensive one, put it on my son, get the ring. Yes, the expensive one, put it on my son. Get the shoes. Yes, the expensive shoes. He's barefoot. Get him shoes. We're going to celebrate. And you know that calf that we only say for special occasions? Kill that. We're going to celebrate tonight because my son, he's alive. Can you imagine that moment being, if you're in the shoes of the son, can you imagine what that would feel like? That you just squandered everything that your dad gave you. You gave him the middle finger. And yet when you came back, your dad was there to embrace you. Can you imagine what it's like to be in that moment? I would be speechless. I would burst into tears. I would think, dad, don't you hate me? I hated you. I took your money. Why don't you hate me? And the son can do nothing but just fall into the arms of his father. Now I want you to imagine if you're a tax collector or a sinner listening to this parable, how might you feel in this moment? You might be a little surprised, wouldn't you? Maybe you might think, wow, if this father can receive back this rotten son, is this a reflection of our heavenly father? 
That's why it intrigued the tax collectors. Now, this parable, it's far from over. I told you next time we're going to focus on the older brother. Today's just on the younger brother. But now I want us to pause and kind of ask the question, so what, Kevin? You drew some bad pictures. You told me a story. How is this supposed to impact my life? We're going to go into three quick points to unpack this. If we go to the next slide, the first point is we tend to possess a low view of God's love. That's just our human tendency. We tend to have a low view of God's love. Remember in this parable, when the son hit rock bottom, he thought, you know what? If my dad could receive me back as a servant, I would be happy with that. Maybe he'll take me back as the, take me back as a servant. But his view of, of his father's love was really low and incorrect. And for you and I, we tend to do the same thing about God. We have a very low view of God's love. We think that God gets easily angered at us when we sin or annoyed at us. And if I'm honest, like we can't really blame ourselves. I don't really blame you guys. That's what we see in everyday life. Like take, for example, when's the last time you disobeyed your parents? Was it today, yesterday, this past week? They, they probably get angry at you if you disobey them. Like, come on, Timmy, this is the fourth time that I'm asking you to do the dishes. How many times have I told you to be nicer to your brother? Why are you always so difficult to deal with? Why can't you be like so-and-so's son? I hate that. <laughs> so when our parents who are imperfect, but they still love us, but when they lose their temper at us, something deep happens in our heart. Sometimes we can project our parents onto God. And we think, well, that's what I experienced in real life. So God's probably the same way. If I messed up a thousand times, God probably is upset with me. And sin triggers an immense amount of shame. And for some reason, we can't, we can't, we don't allow ourselves to believe that God could truly love us. In our sin, we think, God, you probably hate me right now, don't you? I mean, God, I already asked for forgiveness yesterday. And I fell into the same sin today. You're probably like, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with this girl? How could you love me again, Lord? But I want us to see that this parable completely obliterates our human understanding of God. This parable destroys any false conception that we have of God. Listen as I read this verse from Psalm 103. Psalm 103, 11 says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. I want to read that again. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Do you really believe that? Do you believe in a God whose love is infinite or is God just some sort of figure that you read about in this old book? Do you believe that there's an actual God whose love for you is unending? Because that is what this parable is telling us. If we go to the next point, second application point is have faith that God loves you even at your worst. I think this parable challenges us that what the Bible declares about God's love is night and day different from what you feel 
about God's love. Our feelings are fickle. They're unstable. They change all the time. Yesterday, you were happy you got an A on your math test. Today, maybe you're sad because you got a B plus on your science test. Our feelings are fickle, but God never changes. God's character is the same. So if you ever wonder what God is like, don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your heart. I know TV shows are telling you, trust your heart. No, don't trust your heart. Your, your heart is fickle. Trust the Bible. The Bible never changes. God never changes. And so this parable shows us that God loves you even, or perhaps especially at your worst. If you are a tax collector or a prostitute or a sinner sitting in the crowd, you might be intrigued by this God. Maybe that's why they were drawn towards this Jesus. Could it be that in our worst moments, God's love, it's not diminished, but it is 100%, 1,000% ready, willing, able, eager to receive you back. Imagine, how could a nursing mother throw away her child? How could a father reject his son? In the same way, how can a loving God reject those who come to him? This could be extremely difficult to believe, especially when sin brings us down in our shame so much. I want to tell you that um, one of the worst mistakes I made in high school was dating this girl. I was a senior. I felt like, you know what? I'm a senior. I should be able to do whatever I want. And there's this girl at church and I thought she was pretty. And we started talking on AIM. That was stands for AIM. You guys know what that is? No. <laughs> well, that's what we had before their, um, like Facebook messenger. Yeah. You guys think that's old too. Uh, but we talked on aim. Um, and you know, one thing leads to another. And as you guys know, like the more you talk to someone, the more you kind of wonder, wow, this person likes me. They talk so much to me. We're a thing. That's amazing. And so we somehow became a thing and she went to church. So it's awkward. When you date a church, you don't tell anybody because they're gonna make fun of you. So I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> don't know that's still true. But I want to be open and transparent because I want to share that my worst mistake, I think actually in my life, the thing that still haunts me to this day is that dating relationship because we pushed physical boundaries. And that br brought an immense amount of shame in my life. I remember driving home after a, um, hanging out with my girlfriend at that time, and we had pushed the boundaries too far. And I remember sitting at a traffic light uh, close to her house, wondering like, I'm a monster. How could God ever take me back? I just did something that I don't know if I could ever take back. And I remember feeling like scum of the earth. Like, how could God ever forgive somebody like me? And to believe something like God loving me at my worst, that was the farthest thing that I could believe in that moment. And I believe that's actually probably the worst mistake in my life because I saw the way it wrecked her life. After we broke up, obviously, um, she had stopped going to church. She stopped showing up. She um, was afraid of a reputation um, at church and she deleted her uh, social media and I didn't really see much of her for years until like, I think recently. And I wonder, I often think back, if I didn't 
I guess, go down that path with her, would she still be in church? And I know at the end of the day, it's God's will, whether she's in church or not. It wasn't all my fault, but sometimes I can't help but blame myself. Sometimes I can't help but wonder, God, why didn't you stop me? Why did I do that? And it took me a while to truly believe God could still love me. God could still forgive me at my worst, the worst moment, um, the worst thing that I've done in my life. And if you're here today, and maybe you have maybe a secret sin that you've never told anybody, maybe you've been addicted to drugs, or you have gone far in physical boundaries, or you have watched pornography um, for years and you've been addicted, or you have um, stolen something or hurt someone really, really bad. And maybe you wonder, could God accept me even though I'm such a screw up? And the answer is yes. The answer is God is that father ready to receive you if you're willing to repent. God is willing. His love is willing. And I want to ask their students right now, they're being really disruptive. If you guys could focus right now or just take a step outside and just refocus. I really appreciate that because it is being a little distracting. I'm not angry at you guys, but it is a little disruptive right now. Thank you guys. Um, so second point, can we truly embrace this? That God loves you even at your worst. Now, here's the thing. Let's imagine that prodigal son never returned home. Would his dad still love him? Would you guys say yes or no? Yes. But the son is unable to experience the love. Why? Because he, has, he hasn't returned home. He hasn't repented. And so if you go to the next point, God's love is there, but repentance, that's the only way to experience God's infinite and saving love. For people who die and they don't go to heaven, they're in hell. It's not because God didn't love them. God's arms are open. I love you. I want the world to come to saving knowledge. It's not God's fault. It's our fault when we say, you know what, God? I can do my own thing. I'm just going to go this way. And I don't really need you, God. God's arms are open. The question is, where's your heart at? Have you repented? Because if the son never repented and just stayed with the pigs and in the pigsty, the father's love, he would still love him. The father would still be at home wishing and praying that the son would come home. But the son does not allow the experience of love. He does not refuse, he refuses to repent. And that is why repentance, that is the key. That's the only way to experience God's infinite and saving love. Repentance is simply turning the other way, having a radical change of behavior that only happens when God changes your heart. This younger son, he recognized in himself that he sinned against heaven and against his father. That was the turning point. And he returned home. That was the repentance. And so for you right now, you could be here at church, but that doesn't mean you've repented. You could pray before a test, like, God, help me get an A, amen. That doesn't mean you've repented. That just means you threw a magical wish at God and you hope he answers your prayers, but you're not really living in a way that's surrendered to him. True repentance is saying, God, I give you the keys uh, to my life. You're in control now. You're the driver. 
I'm the passenger. I follow what you say, God. And you ask God, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve damnation. I deserve hell. But Lord, you, you died on the cross for my sins. And I, Lord, I trust in your son, the sacrifice for the forgiveness of my sins. And I want to live for you. Help me, God, to live for you. That's repentance. Going to church is not repentance. And my fear is that some of us here believe going to church is doing enough. No, that's not enough. Repentance is key. So if you go to our final slide, our big idea, God's love is only fully experienced when sinners repent and return to him. The son repented, returned to him and actually experienced God's love. It was always there, but there's a way to experience it. He had to repent. And for you, God's love is available to you. The question is, will you continue living a reckless life for your own pleasure, for your own um, personal goals apart from God? Or will you repent and return um, and give your life to Jesus? And that can change tonight if you wanted to. And that's the parable that God's infinite love. And I hope it changes your life today. Next time that we meet was, uh, well, I'll preach in two weeks. You'll have a guest speaker next week, but in two weeks, we'll focus on the older brother. But for today, I want us to focus on God's love for the younger brother. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, you love us more than we allow ourselves to believe. We're almost afraid that to believe that you actually love us because what if it's not true? The Lord, this parable, it reveals the heart of you, that you are the father eager, awaiting us to repent and return to you. And even when we have repented, even for those who are Christians and we still mess up, you're just as ready to receive us back into your arms. God, I pray that you would change us, each and every single person here, that you love every person here the way this father loved his prodigal son. May we have fresh eyes to know that truth, Lord. Be with us in our struggles and help us to have um, a time, an honest time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, thank you guys. We are now in small groups, so find your uh, counselor and uh, they'll lead you to your...